0: Hi everyone, just want to give you a quick heads up before the start of the show that we had a bit of a technical problem while we were recording this week's episode. So right around the 42 minute mark, you will notice a change in the audio quality. I'm not entirely sure how that happened, what happened, but just wanted to give you a bit of a heads up that when you get to that 42 minute mark, you will notice that change. We apologize for that in advance. So with that in mind, here is this week's episode of the Game of Stones podcast.
1: Life good. Never on. Whoa. Hard. Hardly. Come on, Brent. Life's good. Got real close. Hair high, right? Trying to hit two thirds. Have they saved it for her? Yes, (laughs) they
0: have. Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham. Scott is alongside, as always. Hello, Scott.
1: Hey, Sean. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm good and glad to be here. You know, uh, it's a light commute to work today because of uh, the Saint Jean Baptiste holiday. So, not everybody was on the road. It was nice, uh, nice and easy.
0: Yeah, Saint Jean Baptiste here in Canada. I work on the Quebec side normally, so I had the day off. I had the lovely pleasure of having lunch with my good friend Sarah Smith, and now I'm talking to you.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sounds like a really fun day, and. No better time than a hot summer's day than to talk about some curling.
0: So what we're going to talk about today are ways in which we
1: think that we could improve the game by changing the rules. That's right, Sean. There's lots of rules in curling. Some of them are uh, easy to understand. Some of them are not. But I think there's ways that we can gain efficiency in curling. Yeah, so we've
0: looked at the general playing rules, how the game is played, both at the club level and at the elite level, so we're going to run through some of those rules, and then at the end we're going to talk a little bit about ways in which we think that we could improve our national and international championships. So we each have a list here of rules that we can go through. Scott, I will give you
1: the honor in our rules showdown. All right, Sean, so I'm going to start pretty simple, basic idea here. Let's reduce games at the uh, championships level from 10 ends to 8 ends. Yeah, so this is one that
0: we've talked about before in the show. The feeling here is that you will
1: make the games quicker and reduce blank ends. That's the idea. Uh, we don't see as many blank ends today as we used to, especially on the women's side. Okay, but let's be fair. Glenn Howard and John Epping were scoreless through the first seven ends of the Ontario final. That's right. That's right. And and to be fair, like sometimes the blanks nowadays... They're a little more interesting than running rocks up and down the ice. You know, you, you get somebody makes an amazing triple, double here, and then a double back, and all of a sudden, blank ends in play. So those those blank ends I don't mind so much. But uh, reducing the game to eight ends is sort of the way that things are going. Uh, the game has already been reduced uh, from twelve to ten. I think even from fourteen to twelve to ten. So it's sort of the trajectory. It's better for TV. Uh, they can guarantee that they'll fit in a three-hour window with eight ends, and given that the slams are already there, most teams are set up to play that way. Uh, making eight ends at the nationals and international level will also reduce the stress on the athletes. You know, it's already a super long week uh, playing, and and so. Reducing the games to eight ends might take a little wear and tear out of those knees.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think it would be good for the ice in some cases, too. You know, you less rocks up and down, less sliding, so that's always a good thing. You know, Russ always likes to talk about how, you know, those 9th, 10th end, the slide path, gets pretty fudgy. So it could be good for ice and shot making mm-hmm. in that regard. But there is something about 10. I just like the round number of it. I, I don't know why. That, that makes me happy for some reason. I, it's weird, I know. But I, I've always liked that, and I, I think there are other ways that you could speed up the game without taking two ends away, because my fear with eight ends, and I would, I'm sure Jerry Gertz has done this already, but with eight ends, it seems like it's more important to have the hammer in the first end. With those extra two ends, it's easier to come back from a deficit. You get a deuce in the first end. It's not as big of a deal as in a 10-end game. It's still a big deal. If you can get two in the first end, you're going to mm-hmm. win I think it's something like 75 or 80% of the time. Like It's a real huge advantage to get that early deuce, but in a 10-end game, you just have more time to, to come back, to play that scoreboard of 2-1-2 two, two in a comeback mm-hmm. situation. So I, I just wonder about that, and... You know, it's good that they got away from the coin toss or the, with a random assigning of the hammer in the first end, but I don't want the draw to the button at the end of warm-ups to be a hugely
1: determining factor on who wins the game. Yeah, th- those are fair points, Sean. And and to be honest, I like 10 ends more than 8 ends as well, but that's just because I like watching more curling. Right. And so uh, all your points are are very valid. It's just that I... I feel it's going this way anyway, so I thought I'd make it my first suggestion, and uh, we'd go from there, but you mentioned you think there's other ways that we can gain time, so let's hear your first idea. Yeah, so I
0: have have a couple things here that I think are good for timing, and I'll I'll piggyback off the first part of what you said in terms of reducing blank ends. My thought would be to take the mixed doubles rule of if there's a blank end, the hammer switch, apply that to the four-person game,
1: that blank ends lose hammers. Wow. Well, that would be a very big change, a fundamental change to the game and how you approach the strategy of the game.
0: Yeah, and I'm very cognizant of the fact that it could lead the team without Hammer to play much more defensively, and you get a force on an open end, essentially. Mm -hmm. Or even if you're lucky, you try to force and have the house empty and see if they'll just miss a draw, maybe. Uh, Or or put your last rock on the outside... 12 foot and hope they roll out. And so you're hoping for a blank end to get the hammer back. And and I, I realized that that could create some more defensive play there on that side. But that's why I think maybe you go to a six rock rule with this or something. But I just don't like the running up and down. It's those ends that really bother me. I'm not crazy about the Hulk smash either, where the second on their second shot throws it really hard. And because the houses are so lively, everything goes. And then we have up and down for the rest of the end. I'm not crazy about those either. So I feel as though this would reduce the number of ends that are not interesting once we get to third rocks.
1: Yeah, I, I hear you there. The thing that I'll say in defense of the Hulk smash, as you say, is that it's really fun to watch and it's super difficult to do. So if these guys are capable of doing this, uh, why not? You know, like I'd rather see a fun triple peel and be able to cheer than to see some boring draws. And then, oh, hack weight takeout of the rock that's already buried. Oh, okay, whatever. Hulk smash, yeah, that's exciting. (laughs) I don't know. I like those sort of fine
0: touch shots. Uh, I know that it takes a lot of precision to throw the rock hard and throw it accurately, but I really like it when the softer stuff, you're tapping around rocks. It feels to me like it's more... I don't want to say strategic, but it's more... To me, you're managing the end more than just getting rid of everything. If you're in a bad spot, you have to manage your way out of it rather than just blow it up. And I kind of like that aspect of it because to get out of trouble is a multi-shot process than just a one-shot process. And at the same time, I think it rewards the team that can really get the advantage early in the end. If you know you can just bail out on one shot... Then those lead rocks become less important.
1: Yeah, but not every team has that player who's going to be able to do
0: that. But the top ten teams on both men's and women's side do, though. Like, yeah, okay, fine. If you're watching, if you're at an event and it's you know the the B events of the Canada Inns Open or something. Okay, yes, not every team there has it, but. Every team who makes the playoffs at Scotties or Brier will have those players.
1: That's true. That's true. And and you know our team at the Ottawa Curling Club, we have that player right. Yeah, no. sitting across the table from you. No, no, no you dump it out. You, you pop it out too much. Oh, I know. <laughs> I've, I've been uh, yeah, I've yeah, been uh, corrupted. But yeah. okay, so uh, this this uh, rule would you say would work at a club level? Yeah, I I mean, I think it almost
0: wouldn't even matter at most club level. (laughs) There's fewer blank ends. People don't really try for blank ends, except for some cash leagues you'll see it. Some of the elite type, like, or high level club teams will try it, but very rarely on, you know, Our level. Of- well, it's it's one of those things
1: that if I'm skipping and and we're playing a team that I think is better than us, uh-huh. I will try to hit more because I think it sort of levels the playing field, right? But that and that's something else too,
0: right? Because like, we saw when Heather Nedowin won and was in the world championship. I can't remember what team it was. It might have been the Chinese team that she was playing, and she was so upset. Because they didn't want to play. They clearly didn't want to play the game. They just wanted to run up and down, open hits, have as few rocks as possible because they knew that the other team, that her team, yeah. was better, better. Yeah. Than, than what they could do. And if you get rid of this thing where you can blanket end and keep the hammer, it almost rewards the, <laughs> the team that's better. Like it, it makes it so that the best team on the ice is going to win the game. You have to make more shots, and that I think you want the best team to win.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, right now I don't think there's much problems at the uh, at the national level with the best teams winning. The best teams are getting there. The best teams are winning. So to me, it's an if it ain't broke, don't fix okay. it. but I uh, I hear where you're coming from.
0: Okay, so I have another one here that I think could improve the length of games. Let's and this is. The timing rules, and this is my other rule that I would steal for mixed doubles for the four-person game, that is to go to per-end timing.
1: Per-end timing, okay. So
0: you don't get, I think right now it's something like 38 minutes and two timeouts yes. in the, the national play. You get rid of that and you go to four and a half minutes per end with two timeouts for the game. I'll still give you two timeouts for the game, especially in junior play where the coaches can help a little more. Okay, In the senior level, you don't see the coaches come out quite as much or have as much of an influence. So I'll still give the timeout because you want universal rules for your national championships and having two during the game allows for ends that might be a little more complicated to give you some breathing room there. But I, I think this could help in a few ways. It'll get the players to, I think, move a little faster. I think it also gets rid of that early game run up and down and save time. Cause you're just trying to bang time, excuse me, for later in the game when you might have more discussion. And discussion isn't really that interesting.
1: Well, I, I know what you mean. I, I, I feel like it might be a little harder to manage this uh, style of timing. Uh, why? You just put four and a half
0: minutes on the clock at the start of each end. There's a break between each end anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I understand it then it, it sort of makes the timer less important but uh I think it makes it more important. I I don't understand like I don't think that putting a limit on the end necessarily makes it for more interesting every end because you're going to have those sometimes there's ends where you're going to burn 6 minutes because you're looking at angles and you're talking about every shot, you know. But that's not interesting.
0: That's not interesting television. It's when, not it's super not interesting when you're in the building.
1: No, but when you can hear the players, I think it's pretty interesting. Yeah, but after
0: after 90 seconds, you can tell, like, Russ, Cheryl, Vic, they're bored with what they're saying, and they just talk over them anyway because they're just repeating themselves. It's, it, it, like, it's interesting for a minute, and then it gets to the level of listening to somebody talk about their fantasy football team. That's sort of how I feel about it. It just gets super dull. Okay. They, they say the same thing. They're like, oh, you hit this. You know, if you hit a thick third of this one, it'll come over here. Or if you maybe if you come over on this other side, maybe you'll hit a thin quarter of this one and you can get the roll. Like, they just repeat themselves over and over, and then it always boils down to the same thing. The same thing is always said, well, what do you like? To whoever's throwing it. That's always what it comes down to.
1: Okay, okay. And
0: it's not... Yeah, I, I get that you want to have time as the the fan, the viewer, to see the angles,
1: but I don't need to do that for five minutes. Can I don't I'm, I think I'm not sure how this is going to prevent teams from running up and down the ice because they still can.
0: No, they still can. You're right, but there's not as much benefit in terms of time for it. So if you want to run up and down, okay, good for you, congratulations. But you don't save three minutes for later on in the game.
1: So do you think uh, do you think that this would have the effect of concentrating, like, I, I, what I like is that right now the more strategic quote-unquote ends are sort of concentrated at the back end of the game. Uh Uh-huh. And so you're hoping for more even distribution of the interesting... Yeah, play
0: it up. Jennifer Jones has been great for this. Jennifer Jones will go at you in the first end. Rachel Holman will do it too, but Jennifer Jones, I think more so than anyone else, wants to play in the first end. And... What we see a lot is, one, the idea of, oh, you got to get comfortable with the ice. So run it up and down for an end and get comfortable. I don't really buy into that. You've had your time on the ice for warm-up. You should feel comfortable on the ice. So that I've never really understood. And then the only other reason why you would do it is to bank time. If there's no benefit to banking time, let's play. Let's go in. Let's, let's do it. And if you can't get the hammer, you can't hold the hammer through a blank end, plus you're not going to save any time, people are going to score all the time. Okay. Yeah,
1: yeah, Sean, but you're forgetting about the case where a team isn't as good as as the team they're playing against. Yeah, and, and they'll lose because they're not as good as the other team. Right, but if the game is decided after two or three ends, then then that's not interesting, I would argue. That's less interesting than having a closer game Last a bit longer. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think the game should be artificially close.
0: Like, I don't think you want a situation wherein, with all due respect to the, the girls from Nunavut who were there at the Scotties, should they be in a one point game against Jennifer Jones in the fifth end? Well, under the current rules, they're not, so it, I don't think it's a problem. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, I don't know, I just, I just think It's not about the time of game, either. It's about the pace of the game. All right. It'd be just a more consistent flow, I think, than these long chats. Now, there's an offshoot of this rule for me. Okay. And this is something that would not work at the club level, and because you don't have timers at the club level. You need something else. So what I propose for the club level, you have a two-hour block in most places to play a game. And what I would suggest is that You get those clocks like in chess. You know, you see they they move and then they hit the thing. So it stops their clock, turns on the other person's clock. We have the exact same clocks, four curling clubs. They're at each end. Skip is responsible for it. So once the shot is over, the skip walks back to the end boards, hits the clock, goes to the other person's time. Each team gets an hour and or excuse me, they get 52 and a half minutes per game. That's your whole time. If you run out of time, you lose. And if you forget to hit the thing, well, tough break. That's on you. At the end of each end, you there's a button in the middle, and it provides for a one-minute turnover break.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So you have a minute to kick the stones, get the skips to the other end, and get in the hack. And the, I, it bothers me so much when those things take three minutes. Yeah. And honestly, it's usually the skips who sort of saunter down and stand on the boards and talk about how great they are and how hard that <laughs> shot was and how the sweeper <laughs> screwed it up. Like it's so ridiculous, and we're all at the other end of the hack, like okay, let's let's go. let's move, move, it move along. It along. You guys talk the whole game anyway, like <laughs> what is what is happening? So I think if we
1: instituted that system, we could get rid of slow play at the club level you're You're definitely right. Slow play at the club level is a huge problem. It's never fun going there and watching the skips stand around trying to decide what to call. Uh, Like I say a lot, we're not playing for the briar here. Like, let's get it going. I I came to throw some shots. I didn't come to watch you guys talk strategy. So, yes, it's a huge problem. This system could work for sure. It would take a lot of getting used to, Yeah, uh, which is fine. Uh, I might push it to maybe uh, 55 minutes per team to give 10 minutes turnaround. But uh, I think it's good. I think it could work. I... I'd like to see it happen, to be honest. It, it sucks playing a game where everyone is really slow.
0: Yeah, and we've played in events, and I've played in multiple events, where there was a communal clock. So, sure. you know, we had the episode in Knoxville a couple weeks ago. There was a big clock that was for the whole draw. Draw. Yeah. So once you got under 25 minutes, I think it was, you finished your end and played another end, and that was it. A lot of clubs will have a rule based on the time. So if you start at 7, say at 8.30 or or some, yeah, with various, ring various buzzer clubs, or, yeah, or Various clubs to club. the club. The problem with that, though, uh, and actually in Pittsburgh, got each sheet had their own time. So you counted down, I think, from an hour 45. And it was per sheet. So mm-hmm. if you got on 10 minutes late, you weren't 10 minutes behind right everybody else in terms of the time. But what the problem with that is is that it's for both teams. So if you're playing somebody who's really slow, they can just slow play you. And, and yeah. I've played against people who have decided on a shot looked at the clock, realized there was two more minutes before that, that cutoff, and then decided to talk for two minutes before going to the ender and then throwing. And that's the sort of stuff you have to get away from. So if you have individual team times, then slow players don't necessarily hurt you as a player because it's going to reflect poorly on them mm-hmm. and potentially force them to lose the game. So that's why I like that better than a communal clock for either the draw or per sheet.
1: Sure. Yeah, those are all uh, valid points, and and I think uh, maybe a baby step would be to do a clock for that counts down on the ice because people are not good at telling time. No. So if if you have a clock that's counting down, you know, two hour window or hour fifty window, whatever you want to do, uh, that's a good start. Mm. But uh, your stop clock idea is. It's pretty
0: good. Yeah, and it's a different visual cue, too, to have the clock counting. It's one thing to look at the time and, yeah, you started at 7 and now it's 8.15. You had any math in your head. How long have I been playing? Right, that's one thing. But to actually see this clock, and even in the first end, there's – I don't know if it's a psychological thing. Maybe I could talk to one of my friends at one of the universities who's in psychology and ask if there's something that actually forces you into action more by seeing that clock – countdown throughout mm-hmm. the game. I noticed it when we were in Pittsburgh, certainly the first time I had that, that I felt people were playing faster throughout the game because that clock is there. Yeah. And you're just conscious of
1: time. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: All right. So that th- those are my two ideas in terms of making the game go faster, perhaps helping out with pace of play. So what else do you got? So Sean,
1: you talked about giving a, an amount of time per end. <laughs> Forgive me. I'm going to bring up one more thing about time Okay. Uh, while we're sort of still on the topic. And I think I would just give the teams less time. I, I rarely see teams running up against it, you know. And you know what? Just take away their timeouts. The coaches don't matter anyway. Uh, they don't say anything interesting. I like the conversation between the players more than the coaches. Okay. And so eliminate the timeouts and maybe take two minutes off the clock and see if, if that... You know, maybe changes the way that people play. Now, I think you might argue that, oh, that'll increase the odds that they're going to run up and down in bank ends. But, uh, eh, they don't need all that time. Whatever. Okay,
0: Okay. I mean, John Morris would probably argue with you on that because he tends to take it to the limit in his
1: games in terms of the time that he has. Oh, but he plays really fast, so. No, he doesn't. He gets in the hack and he'll throw it. Yeah, but that's because he just talked for five minutes (laughs) and he has to.
0: Like, yes, when he decides on what to do. You will play fast, but I mean at the, the Roar of the Rings, they were routinely the slowest game on the ice.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, yeah, you gotta make your conversations a little snappier. Uh, and I think that it would work better than a per end clock. Myself. Okay.
0: So, but the whole idea
1: is still to increase pace. This is a pace issue. It's not really a time of game issue. I think it would be more fun to see people run out of time. <laughs> we never okay. see people run out of time. We
0: never see people run out of time. And and there are people, and I may or may not be one of them, who thinks that the timers take liberties once we get to the 7th, 8th end as teams are
1: starting to slow up. Sean, as a certified official, certified timing official, I can say that never happens. Okay.
0: <laughs> I don't believe you. Because you can't do The thing is you can't do it in the 10th end because that's when people are paying attention if you start shaving seconds in the 7th 8th then people don't notice it as much
1: i got i to be honest like i've only done one major event and i never i never changed the time based on what was going on you know like mm. sometimes i would hit forget to hit the button in time and then i would wait a couple seconds to stop it you know you, so, you can sort of fudge it and make up for it on either <laughs> end but uh, yeah Huh. I wonder why you never did it again. <laughs> well, if you don't hit the button in time, that's what they tell you. Just, Just make sure that uh, you're so there's on great lati- right. so there's great
0: latitude available to the individuals who are doing the timing. Is what you're saying?
1: <laughs> oh no, we got to cut all this. Yeah, okay. So there you go. Uh, so
0: the thing about reducing the amount of time, the the place where this would be problematic, I, I mentioned this before. Is I think at the junior level, where yeah, you, you know, if you're going to have Rules. You could have different rules for junior versus senior play in terms of timing, and that's fine. But I don't think if you're going to have just a universal, this is our national championship rule. rule. Yeah, I wouldn't want to take that away from the junior players.
1: Yeah, that's fair. The coaches do matter uh, more at the junior level, and I mean, I'm sure they matter at the senior level. I just, eh, who cares? I don't need to <laughs> see Earl Morris walking out on the boards and everybody go, yeah, woo, just applauding. Somebody yeah. for well, I don't know, but because he's Earl, we would lose Jason Gunlickson's classic. Uh, well, if we take two here and give him one, take two, give him one, we'll win the game. We'll win the game eventually. Like yeah, classic. Jason Gundlickson, math major. All right, so let's put a let's put a pin in this time. Okay, no more issue. time
0: stuff. But we agree
1: that we want the
0: game, the pace of the game to improve. Not necessarily it's I'm okay with watching a three hour game. Mm-hmm. I just want it to be uh, more efficiently paced. Sure. That's all. All right. So let's move on then to some other things that we think could improve
1: the sport. What do you got? So the first thing that I thought of when, when we decided to do this show was that I'd like to see an elimination of the tick shot. All due respect to Stevie Gould and, uh, and to Lisa Weagle, But I find that if a team effectively makes the tick shot, then the chances to steal are pretty much over. So I'd like to see it eliminated and uh, the rule to go as such. If the first stone delivered in the end or second stone, any time the free guard zone is in effect, if that stone is touching the center line, I'd like the rule to be that it cannot be moved at all. So whether by accident or expressly moved, if the rock is moved, it's the same as if you eliminated uh, a guard in the free guard zone and uh, shooter is taken out of play and the rock is replaced where it was. Okay, so an amendment I would make to this rule is I don't think
0: the shot stone or the shooter stone should automatically be removed from play because if you're trying to steal.
1: Maybe and, it's. Yeah, like if they're so. trying to
0: come around and put one top eight, they touch it. That could, depending on where it goes, be a second guard.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. So we could leave it uh, then up to the discretion of the team, uh, similar to a burnt rock scenario. Right, and that could be a little touchy at times, as we
0: saw during the Olympics. Actually, both the Olympics and Paralympics, actually, of course, with the uh, situation in the wheelchair uh, final or semifinal, whichever game that was. And that could be interesting. That's why I think having a blanket rule is good, just to say... That sure. maybe the the shot that shooter stone will stay, I but I, in all likelihood it will help the team that's trying to steal, but you never know. Uh, so that that one is I'm I'm because we talked about it during the Olympics that I think it would be good to get rid of this. The non offending team decides because I think it puts teams in an awkward position in in certain situations.
1: But for this rule, I would say. It's usually gonna be cut and dry. Um, yeah, and let's just say that if the shooter is moved, it moves back to where it goes, and then the the shooting rock, like then okay, that that can either stay or go at the discretion of the non offending team.
0: What if we did this to put even more pressure on that lead who's trying to come around? Presumably that could be the yeah. shot that would touch it. If you touch that stone your rock that you just threw can will be put you as, want as a high guard on the center line right at the hog line just on the other side of the hog line so basically it's a guard for their guard
1: that that seems especially punitive <laughs> 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 like a little overly punitive like okay you you grazed it you know your sweepers weren't good enough and then all of a sudden Oh, boy. uh, Well,
0: if you want to increase scoring, increase steals, that's a huge advantage there for the the 10th end situation. I I like
1: a baby steps, and and so I'd I'd go with what I stated originally as as the rule. But the idea would be that right now you can make a perfect guard and then the other lead makes a perfect tick, Mm -hmm. and there's nothing that you can really to make the tick harder, but there's absolutely nothing that can be done. And I'd like to see something done, and I think this is the way to do it.
0: Yeah, I agree. And we saw some stuff in the World Championships, uh, in the Olympics too. The Kevin Cooley and Brad Gushu both tried this when sh- there were shots that were their ticks were made. Stuff was on the edges. They were trying to sort of sort of roll stuff in off those rocks and trying to get twos that way. Like it was mm-hmm. a very interesting of evolution of using those tick stones. But yes, it's more interesting
1: if the stone is in the center of the ice. Yeah. It's just, it's, everyone is so good at that level that, uh, makes it really, really hard uh, if those shots are made. And then conversely at a club level, I've seen people try to make tick shots. Right. And, uh, I, I don't think it would change too much. The, uh, the, Chance for a steal or not, right? Like,
0: (laughs) no, it wouldn't. But at the and at the club level, there would be a lot of times where that stone is touched unintentionally.
1: Sure, sure, and uh, that's why I think it's fine to leave the shooter if the other team doesn't care. Yeah, but uh, I I would like to see that shot made illegal.
0: Yeah. Oh, I wonder too if it would make teams go to the wings. So, team throws up a center guard, you play out to the wing immediately, and. the, that strategy which was prominent for a long time has mm-hmm. sort of gone away maybe that would make a, a comeback that not a corner guard but like throw yeah. it into the 12 foot and see what happens could be a return of um, that strategy so I, I, I understand what you're saying I I don't want to be punitive to people who are really good at it because if this was something like if this was four years ago then it would feel like it's a Lisa Weigel rule Right and but now that
1: everyone is so good at it, I think you could do it, and it wouldn't be punitive to one team. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like everybody's doing it uh, at the high level, at least, and it's really boring to watch. You said it's boring to watch people talk. It's really boring to watch a tenth end where two ticks have been made. Yeah, before they come back from commercial, and you're like, "What the hell happened? Oh, okay." Yeah.
0: So here's another one that I have. I think in the same vein as what you're talking about is what if you limit the number of hits that you could play per end? So this, for me, again, is designed really in the mind of what happens in a 10th end, mm-hmm. where if one team is just trying to steal and the other team is, especially if they're up a point, mm-hmm. just or two if it's two, it's even peeling, more. Peeling. It's just peel, 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 peel. So if you say you only have four hits per end... You have to use them judiciously. Maybe that changes the strategy then in some of these ends and it changes the way in which these teams play and maybe the second doesn't throw a peel because you might need that hit later in the game.
1: Yeah, I, I sort of feel what you're saying. I I don't know if I would put it in the minds of Skips to count how many hits have been thrown. Uh, <laughs> sometimes you forget yeah. what... Uh, Oh, who threw what now? Oh, boy. This, true. It's going to be harder to keep track of. Uh, and then, you know, you'll have people who just turn on the TV or walk up to the glass there at the club, and what the hell is he not throwing a hit for? Right. Oh, oh, well, he doesn't have any left. What? What? So uh, logistically, I think it's a little bit difficult to do. So what I'll do is I'll sort of build on what you're saying okay. instead of agreeing with it because I think it's wrong. <laughs> uh, how about we just uh, – we just extend, like, why don't we extend the free guard zone to be the whole sheet and make that for the first five rocks? So you're still cutting down on the hits. Yep. Uh, and you're making it for the whole sheet. Sort of mixed doubles. Yeah, no, that like, is the mixed doubles. Like, it's not sort
0: of like mixed doubles. That is mixed doubles. Right, right. It's so, the exact same rule. I would extend it, though, to a sixth rock. I have a six rock rule because of teams trying to steal. Okay. Right, the five rock rule doesn't do anything for teams trying to steal points. No, it it's doesn't. It's the exact same. So if we want to make it that steals might happen more, I would extend it to six.
1: So six rocks, no hits
0: at all. I would not mind that. I think that would make it very hard to Hulk smash to a blank. Yeah. And I think it would make put a premium on rock management if you have stuff in the house. Mm-hmm. Making a precision tap to put one to the back of the house. Of the other teams or something, I think that would be a, a much more interesting. Yeah, you
1: know? and and because of what you said with limiting the number of hits, maybe you're a skip and you're saying, okay, I, I'll be drawing to the button uh, for my single or for my two or something, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden out of nowhere, some situation happens where oh, oh, I can just I can make a hit and get more points, but I've already used my four hits for the end. Like, do I try and? You know, it. I think that's sort of handcuffing the team a little bit.
0: Yeah. No. I. I, I don't. So. I don't. I see that. I, I don't disagree with it. Uh, I just. Yeah. Any way, I think that we could make it more not
1: as reliant on just big weight. Sure. Sure. So. So this is why I like doing it at the beginning of the end. Uh, a lot of rocks can get in there, and then if if there is a need, well, oh boy, I'm in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. I'd like to throw double. I still like that option being there. I don't like limiting the options of the last four rocks at the
0: end. Okay. I'm fine with that. I I can deal with that. Uh, How do you you like this one, though, in the similar vein of, again, trying to reduce rock reduction, bigger rings? (laughs) Reduce rock reduction? (laughs) Reduce the amount of rocks that are being reduced. (laughs) Or, if you would rather, increase the number of rocks in play. (laughs) bigger rings
1: yeah you you told me about bigger rings once before
0: yes i like the idea of bigger rings you go from a 12 foot to a 14 foot I, i don't know why this makes you laugh i don't know why 14 feet is so much more ridiculous than 12 feet it's an arbitrary determination of how big we want the target to be like so instead of a 12 foot 8 foot 4 foot and then the button is stays the same no, I guess it's bigger now. <laughs> I guess it's two feet. You just want to be able to hit I the button more. Feet.
1: Okay, fine. Yeah, maybe <laughs>
0: I do. Or maybe it's like – maybe it would be like like in uh, in darts where there's the bullseye, but then there's like the red bullseye too. So there's the red one, but then the green one. Yeah. So maybe we could have that too. But my feeling here on the the bigger rings is that we've seen so much – and especially at the elite level, the houses are so lively that it's so hard to separate rocks mm-hmm. and keep them separate that you they really almost have to be on the edges of the 12 foot and dead flat. Otherwise, there's a chance, uh, because of how hard these people can throw it, but how precise they can be, that it's so mm-hmm. hard to keep them separate. And I think that hurts the scoring. It, it really makes it that much harder to get deuces during the course of the game that if you have... a a, a position early in the end where you just could in theory keep them separate it should be hard to do that i agree that it should be hard to be able to manage your stones throughout the game but i don't like that even if you do it nearly perfectly that the that, is, the, that it still won't work sure, sure so if we go to 14 feet those sheets or those shots become that much harder
1: yeah and and you know a foot on either side it it's not that much extra, really. Uh, so it's probably doable. The problem is, of course, at curling clubs where they're purpose-built facilities that might not have that foot.
0: Right. Well, what if we did this at curling clubs, uh, and the increase you increase them, and if it goes into the boards, fine. Then it's just sort of flat. The rings are sort of flat on the side. Right. Right. So like if we need to do that at curling clubs. That's fine. I'm fine with but that. If it still touches, it's out. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Essentially, so basically, that there's no white paint between the boards or whatever it is mm-hmm. and the the rings. Yeah, yeah. I, so I, you go flat on one. Like I'm fine. I, I don't care. I'm fine <laughs> with that. Uh, but I, I just think it would it would improve the game at the elite level, at the club level too. New players come out.
1: Yeah, you're hitting the rings more often. Yeah, sure. Why not? Why not? Eh. I like it. Okay. Uh, that's that's not bad. That's not bad. <laughs> So far, I, it might be my favorite of okay. all your rules. So all right, so uh, there's one other thing on the ice that I want to talk about. One other like rule that affects the play. Yeah, and then the rest of them would be more like formatting of of championships and stuff. Okay. So the one I'm going to say here is I want to eliminate the use of stopwatches by players on the ice. Okay, bold. I don't think they're that useful. I think uh, at the club level, the skips can use them that's it that's it to do hog to hog I don't uh, I mean I guess if they can use them to do uh, backline to, to hog splits that's fine but uh, I don't think the sweepers should be looking at their watch for splits and then you know thinking in their heads too much and then I think you should be able to judge based on how somebody's throwing if mm-hmm. you're if you're on their team and uh, at the at the elite level I would say only the coaches are allowed to have stopwatches. These players, they, they talk to the coaches between every end anyway. Uh, I, They can get information on the hog-to-hog speeds at that point. Uh, they've already had a practice, as you've said, so I don't think they need to be using the watches on the ice.
0: Okay, but how would Kelly Scott communicate the weight of the shot that she wants to her team?
1: Well, presumably you still practice, and so you can say, I want a ten and a half." and okay. Uh and uh and they should know what that is. Like that that's sort of the muscle memory and that's what practice is for. Uh during the game, I don't think they sh- she should be able to say, I want ten and a half, and then after the shot is thrown, say Sasha, that was ten three. Right? Like, like I I don't think that's that important for the feedback during the game. You can do it in between ends with the coach. If the coach wants to write down the time for everyone, that's fine. Uh, or the fifth player. I guess the fifth player can do it. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, I don't want them. I think get rid of them.
0: Okay, I, I think that's not unreasonable. I, I, I kind of agree with you. I especially don't like the men's players who try to hide that they're using stopwatches, too. right. <laughs> like they, uh, they, like they're they using them. They just try to hide it. The the women, at least, are honest about it. And they have it dangling from their uh, belts. Well, usually. it's because they've got
1: nowhere else to put it, Sean. What the women don't have pockets, so they don't have pockets. Women's curling pants it.
0: don't have pockets. The no. Oh, I don't know. How do I know what happens <laughs> in women's pants? I don't know what's going
1: on. What styles there are? Oh they boy, they don't have pockets. <laughs> no, the those tight pants. They don't. They have like a pouch at the back. It does. Like, like the
0: mic pouch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so the men try to hide it. I think it's kind of silly that they try to hide it, but. Yeah, I would just get, I agree. I would get rid of them too. I don't think they're that useful. And it, to me, it almost helps the teams that played together for a long time too. Right. That you get more used to each other's release and, and these sorts of things. And the stopwatch can help mitigate some of that. Yeah. So yeah. you want teams that, you know, really know each other, play together. It can help too, potentially with something we're going to talk about later in terms of the residential requirements because then you, it's, there's more. In, Need to practice together, right, to get a better sense of what everyone is
1: doing. And and the other thing, Sean, is these things trickle down into the club. I I mean, I think stopwatches are generally useless. Useless at the club. At the everybody club everybody club. releases it wrong and does it different
0: every time. Yeah, it's not even it's not even that you and I throw differently. It's that like I throw differently every, every time I let it go. Yeah. The stopwatch is absolutely useless. And I'm not a bad club player. No, I'm, I'm an average. I think club player yeah. averaged to maybe slightly below average club player, and I throw it absolutely differently every time.
1: Yeah, and and what it does it frustrates our third yes. when she's trying to time it and she's like I can't figure out timing for this guy and th- yeah. yeah take you the watch away like just watch it watch the rock where it's yeah. going because I'll slow
0: it down and then, and then push, push it out it. and do it I just it's all feel for me
1: yeah so if if the players aren't doing this on TV then maybe the people at the club level <laughs> won't feel the need to. You know, be carrying these stopwatches out on the ice, and you know, just making a fool of themselves, really.
0: Well, I don't know if they're making a fool of themselves. That seems a little extreme, but yeah, I, I think in terms of the the pace of play, even it might improve by not having stopwatches and just sort of getting out. And, and I think it actually makes for better players too, mm-hmm. to be able to eyeball it,
1: to be able to throw. I think throwing to feel actually matters. It matters big time, Sean, and you know we sweep together and if one of us gets it right then we're pretty good right if yeah i think nice we
0: usually will like between the two between of the us, two of us yeah one of us will get it yeah and and that sort of comes from playing together too so i'm i'm all in on this idea so i have one more idea here for you scott hit me the
1: idea is a designated thrower oh a de- like a like a designated hitter in baseball yeah.
0: yeah but it's sort of half designated hitter half pinch hitter my version of it. So the way in which you can do this is that you have basically it's your fifth player and during the course of the game each end he or she has to throw one shot. But you can decide when you want that shot to be. It can be early in the end. It can be late in the end. So you can sort of see how the end is setting up. Let's say it's somebody who's really good at an out turn draw. And if the end is shaping up to throw a key out, turn, draw, you can save them for that. Or if you want to have them throw the first rock at the end, you can do that as well. Mm -hmm. But you have a designated thrower that you can use throughout the game. And I think this could even work with your stopwatch idea. That if the only people who have access to the stopwatch are those on the bench, the fifth player then would have access to that information... Perhaps when they go to throw, especially late in the game, if they have access to those times, they know it's slowing down. They might be actually a
1: better option
0: to throw that rock.
1: Could be, Sean. Could be, and uh, I think this idea is like totally impractical and would never happen. But uh, I like thinking about it. And, and an instance in which I think a designated thrower would be awesome is if you're the the third, and you just pounded a. A rock all the way down the ice. You're sweeping hard, and who? Maybe I don't want to throw that first one for right. another minute. Let's put the designated thrower in. I think that, that'd be like pretty cool. Or you know, so your last thro- stone thrower's got the yips that day, and it's just pulling the string on every draw. You know what? Or th- putting in the designated thrower could be uh, it. Could be fun. Like if we're trying to grow the game in in places where there's not a lot of curlers adding another player to the team is not the way to go. But
0: like, right.
1: I, I like this idea, and I like thinking about it. Not that I think it's ever going to work.
0: No, I don't think it would work at all. The other thing you could do is you could make it a pure designated thrower and have somebody say, before the game, let's say, someone's not feeling great, whatever it is, they're going to throw the same shot every time. So one through eight, they're throwing that shot every every uh, every end. And I just wonder how that would work. I mean, it gives the fifth something to do, (laughs) other than just chart rock. So I don't know if it would help, but I think it's sort of an interesting idea that maybe could work.
1: Yeah, and that way, you know, maybe that player's not such a good sweeper, but it still gives them uh, the chance to play.
0: Exactly, yeah. And uh, so there you go. So those are our ideas for improving the game. Some of these ideas, of course, are more geared towards the elite level, some towards clubs, some to both.
1: Yeah, yeah. We've tried to think of both sides of every uh, every rule, but I'm sure we missed some, and I'd love to hear some suggestions from some of the the listeners out there.
0: Yeah, let us know what you think about what we've presented and some ideas that you would have in terms of improving the game. Again, both the club level and the elite level, we'd love to hear from you. always love to hear from you, especially on this issue that affects all of us who play and watch the game. Right? You can't, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably play or watch or do both.
1: And if not, you should probably start.
0: I would love to know why you listen to this (laughs) if you don't do either of those things. And thank you for listening, but uh, let us know uh, sort of what your interest is in the sport then. But overall, I mean we're involved in the sport and we want to make it better. We want to improve the overall experience for both the viewers and the players. And that's what most of our rules here were designed to do. So, what we're going to do, we thought about doing all this in one episode, we're going to not do it in one episode, we're going to break this off, at the start I mentioned that we're going to do something specific to national and international championships, we're already at, whatever, 45 minutes here, we're going to cut it and we're going to do another episode because we got a lot to talk about on international national championships.
1: Yeah, we sure do, lots of ideas on format, on... Uh what goes into uh, going to an event, you know, the entertainment, the beer, the venue, all sorts of things. Plus, Sean, we got to get out of here. we got to go play trivia.
0: Yes, we're going to play sports trivia tonight. Dean Moser is driving us there uh, to sports trivia. He might be here already. I don't know. We told him to wait for us (laughs) to conclude our very important business here. Yes. So uh, so we'll be off. So that will be next week. We'll come back. We'll talk about the international national championships or even the... Grand Slam events, any major event in which there is a, an audience, basically anything in which there's an arena, we'll talk about what it's like to go to those events, especially relevant over the past couple of years as there have been more and more events. The Grand Slams have increased this World Cup of Curling, which they've announced. Still not entirely sure on what it is and who is playing in it, mm-hmm. but we know that they're doing part of it in Omaha, Nebraska. I believe that one's going to be in December, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And uh, there's one uh, going to be in China as well. So those events, there's, there's more events to go to now, in the USA National Championships even, as they are being played in more arenas. So much to go to. So we're going to talk about what that experience is like and things that we think would improve that experience. And there's so much that we can't do it all in this one episode.
1: No, and, and if anybody out there has suggestions r- relating to that right in, and hopefully we can uh, talk about that next week.
0: Yeah, let us know. We're going to be recording it on Monday, July the 2nd, is when we're going to record to release on the 4th, on Independence Day for our American friends. You so that's our gift to you, is our new episode. But if you're listening to this before July 2nd, and you have ideas, suggestions, let us know, and we'll definitely get them into the show. So we hope you enjoyed the episode this week, rules that we think could improve the sport. If you have not subscribed yet, please do on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever it is, you get your podcast. You can get in touch with the show on Twitter at Game of Stones Pod. The email address is Game of Stones Podcast at gmail.com. You can find Scotty on Twitter at ScottLikesTV. TV. I am at Dr. Shawnee Fever. You can also find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page for the show. Just search Game of Stones Podcasts. You can find us there. You can get in touch with us that way as well. We always love to hear from you. So until we talk to you next week, give your brooms on the ice and don't dump that answer.